You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 243rd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 794th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of February 10th, 2022. I am your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's Banner Moment uh, happened on Tuesday. Adversity had hit the Indiana program prior to the game against Northwestern, and Trey Galloway was put in a position that he probably did not expect heading up to Chicago for the game. However, Trey played with a passion and a desire that we Indiana fans have come to appreciate. Trey, job well done. Okay, let me introduce my esteemed co-host for tonight. He is the other coach and the founder of IU Film Room, where members of our premium IU sports community get in-depth video breakdowns of IU basketball. It's Tony Adrania. Coach, what are your thoughts on where this IU basketball season stands right now? Yeah, first of all, thanks for, for having me on yet again. Love love coming on here uh, on Thursday nights or after games. Um I was I was a little nervous about today. I was texting Jared earlier in the week and was like, uh, I had lost my voice after the uh, the reunion this past weekend. So uh, I'm I'm happy to have my voice back first and foremost. So if I sound a little raspy here and there, uh, give me a break. But in terms of how I'm feeling about the IU team, obviously, um, you know they've kind of reached uh, a fork in the road, and and you know there's two paths that they can kind of go down from here. Um, adversity has certainly struck this program. And, you know, it's obviously going to be something that we chat about throughout this evening. So I'll save some thoughts there. But obviously, there's a couple ways this season can go right now for IU. And to be quite frank, it's not an unfamiliar place. Hoosier fans have found themselves in the beginning of February. So, um, you know, hopefully it's not the same song and dance for for, uh, it's been the last few years. But, um, you know, that that is on the table, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, as we'll chat through that some more as we go on here. But. Um, certainly some, some things that need to be cleaned up, uh, both on and off the floor. Okay, here we go. This is what we're going to cover, uh, this week. Segment one, we're going to reflect on, on this disappointing week in IU basketball, both on the court and off the court. It it needs to be addressed and we will do so, uh, after, uh, we get done here or at the end of segment one, segment two, we're going to nerd out a little bit on what's working and not working, uh, for Indiana schematically. We pulled a lot of stats and, and, and Jared will be joining us later. And I think the three of us will try to go over, uh, some of the things that uh, we think can can maybe make a difference on the court. And then segment three, mailbag. And, in fact, we, we have mailbag questions throughout the show tonight. Uh, I thought the community did a really good job of asking solid questions as usual, and we – We've kind of moved them throughout uh, the, the show. So uh, all of that is coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. 
This edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, is presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere, with beloved logos like the two different versions of the Bison. And Homefield has something for fans and grads of other schools, considering their product line now extends to more than 120 different schools with unique vintage logos. Uh, for all of them and no matter what you buy you know that it'll be comfortable and colors will last through many washings plus you're supporting an indiana-based company that came up through kelly what could be better than that go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code home for 15 percent off your entire first order that's promo code home for 15 percent off once again the website is homefieldapparel.com wear one for the team did I double read part of that ad there? Uh, I don't know, but uh, I got caught up in the script. But Jared Morris has joined us here uh, uh, early on the show. Uh, Jared, uh, your your quick reflections. We're about ready to to go into the talk of of the disappointing week uh, that IU had uh, once seven and four uh, with the chance to get into the Big Ten race. Lost a couple games, a, a heartbreaker in the second half against Illinois, and then the ultimate suspension of five players and the loss again down the stretch uh, to Northwestern. Indiana finds himself at sixteen and seven, seven and six in the Big Ten with games at uh, Michigan State, home against Wisconsin, at Ohio State, and uh, it. It is uh, a turning point, if there maybe is the kind word to say, maybe, about your thoughts right now on the state of Indiana basketball. Yeah. Hello, guys. Good to see you. Um, Tony, good to see you. It's always nice to have you here on AC Radio. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Voice holding up okay? It's okay for now. So, so far. Um, number one, I, I just, you know, I'm ready to turn the page on what happened uh, before the Northwestern game. Not ready to turn the page on the game itself, because I think there are things that we can learn from what happened in the game. Um, you know, but ready to turn the page on the suspensions. I think we talked a lot in in the post game show. You know, I mentioned it was, you know, it felt like kind of an embarrassing moment, you know, when it's an important game like that and you have five guys suspended. You know, look, at the end of the day, they did something. They broke the rules. They got suspended for it. Um, I don't think there is any reason to cast any aspersions on any of them individually outside of, you know, they were just irresponsible and made a selfish decision. Fine. We all did that when we were young. Let's move on. They were held accountable. And now we'll see what everybody's made of and what the program is made of. So I think we can put that in the past. There's really, I don't think there's any reason to linger on that or talk more about it unless something else happens from a discipline issue. And it's, you know, and then it, it suggests there's a bigger issue. Um, you know, what's a lot more concerning to me is the way that Indiana has played on the court uh, in the second half against Illinois and in that game against Northwestern, even though I think the guys that played in the Northwestern game fought their tails off and did, you know, OK, given their limitations, it still really underscored some issues, you know, that I want to dive into even more um, in, in the second segment. You know, we kind of talk about some of the things that are working and some of the things that aren't working. Um, but it really sets up for this game Saturday to be a really big one against Michigan State um, because I think, you know, that's a tough place to play. We know we've won there, what, twice since like 1993 or something like that. And the, the last one was maybe the most improbable win in recent IU history, you know. Um, but they're beatable, you know. Like if Indiana goes up there and plays well, that Michigan State team can be beaten. There's also a path for Indiana playing well, kind of getting itself righted, but not quite being able to do enough to win. So I think that is going to be a really, really interesting game to watch in terms of how Indiana plays, how do they respond to this adversity, 
And I really think that, you know, look, results are always important. Getting a win would be huge. Um, but a loss there is not going to kill you. And so I really think the process, the, the how, is going to be a lot more important in that game than the what. Um, and so I'm really, really interested to watch how Indiana responds um, because I think, you know, you can look at each of these next three games individually and say, okay, well, that a loss there is not going to hurt you and a loss there is not going to hurt you and a loss there is not going to hurt you. But you know what will hurt you? Five straight losses, <laughs> you know, losing all three of the games while other teams pick up wins. So Indiana's got to find a way to get at least one of these wins. You know, you would think the one against Wisconsin at home is the most probable, but they also won at Purdue and they won at Michigan State. So they can beat you on your home floor. So, you know, I say all that to say, you know, the program has some issues right now. Things clearly aren't as good as we thought they were coming off that Maryland wind. And we're thinking about competing for a Big Ten title. You know, this program's clearly not ready for that yet. So, you know, what changes can they make? What things can they start doing differently now as the schedule ratchets up to be ready for it? Because if they come out and treat these next two games basketball-wise like they treated the previous two games, they're going to lose all three of them. And again, individually, you can explain each one away, but you got to start picking up wins, and you have to find a way to win one or two of these games. Um, and so, and that, you know, we'll talk about that some more tonight. You know, what they can do to do that. Um, David Hanley in the community. Uh ask this question i think there's a bunch of things and and we can just touch on this and then we can get to section two which is basketball related uh quickly because i do think uh we as fans and everything just need to let the program try to figure out what had happened and how they're going to go forward and just keep rooting on these guys but his question said um uh since it's two coaches on the mics thought thoughts on offensive struggles what he's in game coaching decisions insight from a coach's perspective on how to handle discipline accountability without fracturing a team what to do off of recent off-court issues about team leadership and is it possible to maintain an old school coach night style uh though th that's a good question and, and i just want to share real quick the players made a mistake the coach made a decision uh and and then you know i i, I posted this uh, and I appreciate the responses uh, that I went into it with before I knew everything that I was going to have patience as a fan. I was going to then find forgiveness and then I was going to seek to understand what the heck went on before I tried to make my comments about players or coaches or whatever. And I just think that's really good for fans to, to understand. We're going to be patient on how this thing all plays out and where I agree with you, Jared, we need to talk about on the court. But I do think what happened Tuesday prior to the Northwestern game does affect on court. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see, is it a boost uh, and people pull together and react positively, or is it a fracturing uh, scenario that affects basketball play? I think that's legitimate. Um, I, I also, my concern is that what has, what's going on behind the scenes that five players felt confident enough to break curfew and do uh, and break the rules that that the the culture that was trying to be built all year wasn't being heard and and I'm not here to point fingers at players coaches whatever but the truth is guys that the Indiana basketball coach culture that we thought was there in improved play, improved hustle on the defensive end, confidence in shooting, all of that stuff, it, it still happened. But, boy, there's some underlying stuff that needs to be fixed before the max we can maximize what's on, on the basketball floor. And, and I don't know, Tony, your thoughts on this, but sometimes when stuff happens like this, just reinstating players doesn't let it go. Um, 
it, it just kind of lingers and festers and, and, and even best intentions uh, from a coaching staff to try to fix it, it, it might be a little more difficult than we would want. Um, and, and hopefully it is easy and it's just a one-time thing and one-day thing and it's back to basketball and we play real, really good. But I am concerned about the underlying story of how uh, in February – this thing kind of blew up. Um, it wasn't off-season uh, partying. It wasn't other things. So I, I'm worried that there's some concerns. I hope I'm totally misguided on that. Uh, but we'll see here uh, coming Saturday with their play. Tony, any any thoughts on David's question? I, the, the players are different a little bit, I think. But I still you got to hold people accountable. And and what he did that there's there's nothing wrong with with what he did. But I think there's more to it than just a, a one night mistake. Yeah, I mean, just to just to briefly touch on it, um, you know, it's not in the coaching handbook how to handle these situations sure. because each one is unique, and it, it's you know, there's so, so many sets of circumstances that determine you know how you can respond in a situation, and I think there's nobody better has all of the circumstances laid out in front of them and has dealt with bigger issues than Coach Woodson, and so whatever he decides on, I trust because. He knows all the facts. He was he's a part of it, and um, but I, I do agree that there, you know, it, it's probably not just something that's you know, a you've made a mistake, you're suspended, it's behind you, you guys are back in the starting lineup, everything's good, and you know, there's not some lingering at least trust issues from Coach Woodson and some of those guys at the very least. Um, you know, in terms of is it an old school Coach Knight style? I I don't really think it's an old school mentality to hold players accountable for making mistakes. Um, you know, I'm, I was, when I was coaching, when I was 23, 24 years old, uh, you know, back a decade ago or whatever it was, you know, I, I suspended players for getting F's or getting in trouble in school or talking back to their teachers. But I don't think that's an old school mentality personally. I think that's just holding people accountable. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, to kind of touch on, on David's uh, other part of his questions with, um, you know, how to handle it. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a case by case basis. Um, and that can kind of be a slippery slope in itself too. Cause now it's like, all right, if Trace Jackson Davis breaks curfew, like you set the precedent, like he's, he's out of game basically, or you're, then you have a fractured culture there. So that's part of it too, is it's, there's a precedent set, um, for better or for worse now with coach Woody. And, you know, if, if you go out and break curfew or, or, you know, it's probably it's a little deeper than just breaking curfew. I think, you know, you're going out night for a game is the rumor. Um, then, you know, there's a precedent set there and, and that could be a good thing. And that guys will never do that again. It could be a bad thing that your best player for, you know, Big Ten tournament or something goes out and does that. and You've kind of set a precedent of, all right, guys are out um, when they do that. So with that said, you know, I, I think Jared's Jared's right in that, you know, we, we could talk to this till we're blue in the face and there's other things to talk about on court. Um, that are just as concerning, if not more. Um, and so those are kind of my two cents on it before we put it to bed. And fortunately, both Trace and Race, the two you know best players, leaders of this team, have never given us any indication that we even have to worry about that. Correct. You know, so. Yeah, there, there's yeah. no cl- clear-cut answers, and now it's time to get back, uh, you know, uh, to talking basketball, but we hope that everything else can get get back to basketball as soon as possible. So coming up here on Assembly Call Radio, we're going to dive into some X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's to assess what's working, what's not on the court, uh, and what tweaks might help Indiana down the stretch. That's next here on the Assembly Call.
The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, this is Max Bielfeld, Big Ten champ and better than advertised sixth man of the year in 2016. And speaking of better than advertised, join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Thanks, Max. Welcome back to the assembly call. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni. Tonight's episode is also sponsored by Superior Insulators, owned by longtime listener and IU season ticket holder, Brad Brad. Brosmer, sorry, Brad, who, who we got to meet at our Switchyard event last week and who is nice enough to provide refreshments for everyone uh, in attendance. We've been telling you about all the great work uh, Brad's company has done installing air barrier systems and spray foam for the IU Excellence Academy and now and how they also worked on the IU football locker room, Marching 100 Hall, and many other buildings on campus. Well, that work is all the more impressive because they aren't even based in Bloomington. But now, thanks to their recent acquisition of spray foam insulators in Bloomington, they will be able to grow and service the Bloomington market more efficient, more efficiently through local teams and support. And it comes, and it comes from their long-term objective of having a physical presence in Bloomington. So, if you're anywhere in Southern Indiana and you need residential or commercial insulation, visit insulators.com to learn more and schedule your appointment. That's insulators.com. I N S E A L A T O R S dot com to learn more. And thank you, Brad, for your continued support of the show. So now Jared is going to uh, introduce our next topic, but we're going to talk about what's working and what's not working and what we believe might need to be done on the court to help the Indiana Hoosiers uh, achieve that goal of getting back into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you know, look, obviously, you know, we're going down the stretch here in February. We know how important it is for Indiana to make the NCAA tournament, and none of us, you know, you guys are coaches, but you're not the coaches. None of us are making decisions, and – you know, as fans, we only have limited information. We see the games for 40 minutes. We have all different kinds of data that we can look at and parse. And it's interesting to kind of go through those things and kind of see, okay, what do the numbers tell us that's working? Where does that match with our eye test? Where does it not? What hypotheses or ideas do we have for things that could happen? All well knowing that we don't even get to see the most important stuff, which is in practice, you know? And having that full context might make some of the decisions that are being made make more sense. But you know, with all those caveats, let's look at, okay, what is our eye test and what is the data telling us is actually working for this team and what's not? Because I've been tracking this as we go through the season, as we've gone through this season, and a few trends have emerged that have really surprised me uh, in the numbers. But, you know, I think the more that the season goes along, 
the more they start to make sense a little bit, you know, and, and Trace Jackson Davis earlier today uh, was named one of 30 players to the Naismith, uh, you know, National College Player of the Year midseason team, which is a tremendous honor for him. And I'm extremely happy for him that he got it. You know, as soon as that announcement came out, Dylan Burkhart, who we love and respect from UM Hoops, retweeted it with the quote, Trace must have a great agent. I'm sure Dylan was a little upset that Hunter Dickinson wasn't on there and Trace was. Uh, and frankly, that's probably a valid argument um, because one of the things that has kind of become clear is, as you know, I think we've watched the games and you start to look at the numbers and you really dig into, OK, what's actually working for this team is, you know, lineups with Trace Jackson Davis for Indiana this year in games against good competition have not performed very well. Um, on the other hand, lineups with Xavier Johnson and with Race Thompson and with Trey Galloway have performed really well. And I'm curious about why, you know, and so and I want to get your guys thoughts, but let me present some of this information first, because when we look at what's working. So, you know, I took out when I was looking at this and I got a lot of this data from Hoop Lens, which does a wonderful job of aggregating together lineup data. And to me, what Indiana did against Marshall and against the other cupcake teams doesn't really matter. Nothing that happened in those games is really going to tell us about what Indiana needs to do to win the next three games and to beat Big Ten teams. So I stripped that out. Okay. So in those 14 non-cupcake games, and by the way, that doesn't include the two games against Nebraska, because I don't think Nebraska is very good. They're a sub-150 team, so I took them out too. When Race Thompson is on the court, Indiana has an efficiency margin of plus .06. Okay, so that is your offensive points per possession minus your defensive points per possession. You obviously want that to be positive. When Indiana is positive with Race Thompson on the court, when Race Thompson is not on the court, Indiana is minus .11. So that is a net um, you know, efficiency margin of plus 0.17 when you take into account how good they are with him on the court and how bad they are without him on the court. Okay, does that make sense where that number comes from? So with race, there's a big difference when he's on the court and when he's not, right? The numbers back that up. Same thing with Xavier Johnson. We're plus 0.06 with him on the court, minus 0.09 with him off the court. That's a net difference of 0.15. So Xavier Johnson has a huge impact when he's on the court and when he's off. For Trey Galloway, it's plus 0.11 with him on the court, minus 0.5 with him off the court, a net of plus 0.16. Rob Finnessy, it's a net of plus 0.21. All four of those guys have had a huge impact when they are on the court. Now, that does make some sense when you consider how important defense is to Indiana because this has been a very defense-driven team. Those four guys are four of Indiana's best defenders, and so lineups with those guys have performed really well. But you would assume if all of if lineups with all of those guys are doing well, then surely Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana's preseason All-American, you know, assumed all Big Ten player, uh, you know, go-to guy for three years, that lineups with him would be performing well, right? Well, that hasn't been the case. Indiana has an efficiency margin of plus 0.01 with Trace on the court. When Trace is off the court, Indiana's efficiency margin is plus 0.08. So Indiana has actually been better in their 14 games against non-cupcake teams with Trace off the court, which is surprising. Now, you think back to, you know, the Purdue game when he's out with foul trouble and Rob Finnessy goes nuts. You think about the Illinois game when he's out with foul trouble and Indiana plays their best, you know, there at the end of the first half. And so when that happens once, even if it happens twice, you might say, okay, well, how often is Rob Finnessy just going to go off like he did in, in the Purdue game? That's just bad luck for Trace that he wasn't on the court. Maybe. You know, or maybe there was a reason why the offense played, you know, a little bit better, right? That's what I want to dig into with you guys. 
But what I find really interesting about this data is when you start to add Miller Cop and Parker Stewart into it. Because what you find with Trace and with those numbers is playing with Miller and Parker seems to have a bigger negative impact on Trace than it does on anybody else. Okay, And let's just talk about Miller Cop and Parker Stewart playing together because they've both been hot-button guys. When they are on the court together, Indiana's efficiency margin is plus .02. All right, I mean, that's not great. You're not going to win much there, but at least it's positive. Uh, And it's positive because the offense is a little bit better. The defense gives up one point per possession, which is much worse than Indiana is normally. When they are both off the court, okay, when neither Parker or Miller is playing, Indiana's efficiency margin is plus .29. Plus .29, which is like top 10 good. The defense goes all the way to 0.75 points per possession. So that's a 0.25 point per possession difference with Miller Cop and Parker Stewart on the court and off. And when Trace is playing with them, it really has a big impact. So in lineups, when Trace and Miller and Parker play together, which is our starting lineup, so pretty much the start of the first half, the start of the second half, and then some other you know minutes mixed in there, they are minus 0.03. When Trace plays with Miller and Parker Stewart off the court, and there have been 125 possessions, Indiana is plus 0.45. Plus 0.45. So think about those numbers that I laid out with Trace earlier and kind of how pedestrian Indiana is even better. Well, when you remove some of the time that he plays with Miller Cop and Parker Stewart, a lot of that goes away. And in fact, in lineups where Trace, Race, and X play together, without Parker or Miller, and it hasn't been a lot, but it's been 72 possessions, which is basically the equivalent of one game, Indiana's efficiency margin is plus 0.76. That's, for context, that's amazing, okay? Now, would that stick with, you know, more minutes with them playing together? Perhaps not. But I think what it shows here is, you know, and, and those numbers don't stay, by the way, with Miller and Parker, with Race and with X and with the other guys, it's, you don't see the same drastic thing. You see it with Trace. So my question to you guys is why? Because there is something about the combination of Trace Jackson Davis, Miller Cop, and Parker Stewart that is not working. And the irony is that the argument for them being the starting lineup has always been, whenever you talk with anybody about it, the argument is almost always, well, if you have Parker and Miller out there, it's going to help Trace because you have shooters to space the floor. That's going to give, you know, That's going to allow Indiana to make more threes. That's going to give Trace more space to operate. And so what you lose in playmaking, what you lose in defense with those guys out there, you're going to compensate because you're going to get Trace going. And the offense is going to be better. But we're not really seeing that. And we're seeing the negative impact on the defense and the lack of playmaking, I think, really hurt. Because here's the thing. Indiana is shooting well with those guys on the court. With Parker and Miller on the court, Indiana is shooting 40.4% from three-point range. That's outstanding. But their three-point rate, right, how often do they take three-pointers, it's roughly the same as the other lineups. So they're putting this lineup out there to shoot, but they're not getting the guy's shots. So the thing that it should do, they're not able to capitalize on it. You're not getting any secondary playmaking, and this is what I think really hurts Trace. Because I think Trace operates better when he's getting the ball on the move as opposed to just kind of being a stationary post-up guy. Well, when Trey Galloway is out there, there's a secondary playmaker. The offense is more kinetic. Trace is getting it on the move more. When it's Parker and Miller, it's basically just Trace on the block, posting up, and that only works in certain matchups, and it really doesn't work in others. And the spacing isn't showing up. Indiana's two-point field goal percentage with Mark uh, uh, Parker and Miller on the court is 47.6% versus 50.1% with the other lineups. So all these things that you thought that you were going to get 
you are not getting. And the defense is a lot worse. They, Indiana fouls less, but they allow a higher shooting percentage. They don't force as many turnovers. They give up more offensive rebounds, and they give up more threes and allow a higher percentage with Parker and Miller out there. So, you know, I, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts for, you know, for why you think this is. And I know that we've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, what can Indiana do to fix this? And I said, you know, I even said at our event in Switchyard, you know, I'm not necessarily in favor of changing the starting lineup simply because, you know, Woody is kind of building this ethos of we're not going to panic. I'm going to be patient with guys. I'm going to let guys have their roles. But I kind of think that what happened before the Northwestern game and the suspensions kind of jumbles some of that stuff up. You know, I don't know that Parker Stewart's role needs to be assumed anymore. And with two more really poor performances from Miller Kopp, his role probably needs to change. But, you know, I, I think the reason why I really wanted to dig into this is because, you know, Trace is having some struggles. Part of that is on him. You know, I, I think he's, you know, he hasn't expanded his game enough. I think there were times in the Northwestern game, and maybe it's because he played 39 minutes, but it didn't seem like he had quite the same energy that you need to see from him and all these things. But I also just think some of the things Indiana is supposedly trying to do to help him out, it's not working. And the other stuff that is working, they maybe need to go to earlier and go to more, you know, in terms of Trey Galloway playing more and some of those things. So, you know, we've kind of talked about this and that kind of matches the eye test. But to me, looking at the numbers, it's even more stark than I thought. And I just think, why do we, why are we going to keep putting these lineups out there that clearly don't work for more and more minutes when it's crunch time now? Like, it's not a huge sample size, but it's a big enough sample size that, you know, in these games, there's a really small margin for error in these next three games. we got to maximize the minutes. And again, there's a lot of stuff we don't know from practice and all that, so I'll hold out space for that. But this is also painting a pretty compelling picture for what works and what doesn't. And I think at some point, Indiana's going to have to start doing more of what is working. So that's my information, and I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on it. Well, I, I'm going to – my initial thing, and I'm always a film guy because I got to see – you know, I know Tony does the film room, but I, I, I got to see things on, on film. But my initial thing is the ability to move on offense is is very, very vital. Spacing is great. Offense is spacing. Spacing is offense. Uh, that, that's been said, you know um, – Coach Majerus, you, offense, spacing is offense, and offense is spacing. Oh, I miss that guy. I want a great, great coach to learn from. Um, and so spacing is good, but I like movement. Uh, and I think when you talked about you know having uh, Rob out there and Trey out there and X out there together, you have multiple north-south guys. And so my initial thought in you reading this information and putting it on the run sheet is that the def- when the offense moves, the defense has to move. And you have a chance of catching the defense out of position or put them in rotation, and then you can get guys the ball more in situations than where everyone knows where the plate people are going to be, and they can have set rotations that they've practiced watching film. Okay, when the ball goes in the post, you're going to move this way, stay strong side on this shooter, and you could be half and half over. On- it's easier when you don't move the help. Uh, that that's my initial my initial mm-hmm. thought, and I've been clamoring for more set plays for shooters, where I think you got to guard a, a staggered double, and then you got to maybe you know slip into the post. You could even help TJD by by moving people more, even with Miller and Parker. But my initial thought, and we'll interested to see what Tony says, is that they just move better on, on offense. Uh, th- those guys, and it creates opportunities by putting the defense in in tougher positions. 
And and Tony, to go along with that, they get more transition opportunities. You know, Parker and Miller, when they get rebounds, they're not turning it, you know, up the court. You know, tr- someone like Trey Galloway is, and that helps Indiana get easy buckets too. Absolutely. I mean, you guys both kind of nailed kind of what I'm thinking in terms of, you know, you, neither Parker nor Miller can create a shot for themselves or for anybody else. Um, you know, the, everything is is kind of predicated on what others can do to help them get their shots. And that's fine that they're spot up shooters. Um, I've actually got some shots on or some stats on uh, spot up versus off screen that I want to talk about here in a bit with those guys. But um the fact that neither of those guys can really create, and then you look at who comes in for them. You know, it's Rob Galloway. Um, you know, you're talking about guys whose assist rates are 15% or higher, uh, whereas I think Miller and Cop are both around like 7% or something like that in terms of assist rates. So, um, you know, the fact that neither of those guys can create is obviously an issue. And then I think some of it is is what Coach was saying in terms of the ball's not moving side to side. And, and along with what you were saying, Jared, that Trace is better on the move. Well, Kind of what IU runs is, I mean, their their set they they like to run more than any is the most simple set in the world. It's run a guy from the baseline, have him rub Trace's guy on the block, and then have Trace stand there and post, throw it to him, and everybody kind of stands and watches. Well, Trace is actually he's not a great back to basket. Try to back somebody down. He's undersized in the Big Ten in terms of playing at the five, and so they don't have to double him. Um, you know, even a guy like young at Northwestern can guard him one-on-one in a post-up. Um, and so guys can stay glued to Miller and Parker because they're not really having to go double Trace Jackson Davis. Whereas we saw things open up a little bit more in the non-conference when it might be a six, seven, six, eight guy guarding Trace Jackson Davis and teams do have to throw two at him. And then he's able to, he, he's very good passing out of the post when he needs to. And then he's able to find guys. And that's when you saw, uh, you know, Parker and Miller really kind of be able to get going when the double team was forced, but um, you know he hasn't he hasn't really had to do that, um, or, or teams haven't had to do that to him in the Big Ten. So I think that plays a factor too. Um, but what I would love to see is is even when Indiana wants to run sets like that that baseline cut, run some false action before that, get guys moving, and then you can run that exact same action. But you've already got the defense moving, and they're not just prepared for that set. Side so top think- side. Absolutely. <laughs> and so how many times, uh, coach, have you said that in whatever <laughs> offense you believe in? Side top side. <laughs> Come on, get the ball. Side top side. All of them. Um, and so, you know, that's I think that plays a factor as well. But, um, you know, the, the, the lack of playmaking from those, those two, um, the fact that everything's kind of predicated on Trace Jackson Davis in, in a situation where he's really not at his best trying to back somebody down. I think Trace Jackson Davis is at his best setting a ball screen. Um, you've got a guy rolling and replacing, and then Xavier Johnson is a tremendous creator. He's going to lob it to Trace Jackson Davis if, if that tag guy can't get back to him. I mean, that's how you get Trace Jackson Davis going. Throw these yes. lobs up to him. That's where he's at his best. In that ball screen, you've got a great guy coming off those ball screens. Galloway can do it as well. Um, I thought Indiana saw some success against Northwestern when they went to that horns action. Trace Jackson Davis was setting ball screens, and then uh, Galloway was creating off of those. And then they just had race popping. Now, in an ideal world, you got somebody that's popping that is more of like a forty percent three point shooter. Or, you know, did not 
Tony, the the action early, and I, I haven't had a chance to watch the Northwestern game. I, I was uh, away from home, uh, but I did see some clips. There was a baseline. They would run and tray baseline off of screens like a Sun Devil or a, a, a two-guard front, and then they'd run into a ball screen, a side ball screen. That's the action that needs to happen more. And then what you have is you had Leal and you had uh, Cop go away from the ball screen. So now you have two shooters away, which draws the defense, and you have TJD on the move. Uh, I, I didn't see that. I was talking with the guy I coached with, and he said that was really good stuff. And then it didn't show up much after the first you know, two or three possessions. So like they game planned it, and they ran it for a while, and then all of a sudden those kind of actions weren't happening again in the second half. But that sideball screen, putting him in, in moves, and then everyone wants – he can shoot that 15-footer. He can pick and pop if they're playing drop coverage. Uh, he could pop to range. Uh, that's another way to get him. Role. I mean, yeah. he can create in the short roll. Exactly. Uh, and if people come up, then you then and he's a good enough passer, and he's advanced in passing to get other people. But it's ball movement, Tony and Jared, and it's people movement is what's good offense. Like when you think of when you see the teams that you you watch when you're not watching IU, the the teams that win move, they move, and then then like Tony said, they might move hard, and then once it goes in the post, they get to their spots. But you've already worn out that defensive possession, and someone might have switched, and the the monster or the trap is going to come from a different spot. Um, that that's the kind of stuff I would like to see. And yeah, that side ball screen is encouraging to me, and we know they have it in because they ran it against Northwestern early. So that kind of stuff, and that's where Galloway got got going early uh, against Northwestern. Um, but that's the kind of things I think you see in this data, Jared. Just shows that. Um, you know, uh, the big size has always given TJD problems, and if he catches it and, and the big guys are between him and the basket, it's it's not as easy for Indiana to score in, in those situations. Just looking yeah. at Illinois, Illinois does a lot of that stuff for Coburn. They run a lot of false action, and then they'll get set up into a side ball screen, roll replace, and it's hard as hell to guard because they've got somebody that can, that's replacing that can shoot um, in a Frazier uh, – and then, I mean, obviously Kofi is Kofi, and then they've got a creator as well. Um, you know, Illinois, I think, does a really good job. And obviously, I think their personnel is a little more advanced than ours, um, but they have a similar personnel in terms of they've got a big guy in the middle that's not going to step out and do much. Now, he's a true big seven-footer, um, a little bit harder to guard, but I like the, I like the way that Underwood has his offense set up um, and, and the spacing. Um, you know, Joey Burton, I don't know if you guys know who he is, he's – uh, mm -hmm. trainer NBA trainer he was tweeting me and said when we played Illinois that it, it if you if he didn't know who the coaches were he would have thought Illinois had the coach coming from NBA and IU had a coach that was uh, kind of long in the NCAA game just in terms of spacing and and ball movement what what do you call that your screen when you take your five man you have that false motion he ends up at the at the middle at the nail and then he just hammers that screen right down right in front of the rim and the guard cuts up do you have a call for that I think that's what you're referring to with Kofi it's straight from the top of the key down the ball's on the wing and then all of a sudden that, and you post right in the center because a lot of times we think about posting on the right block or the left block but if you get it we call it the money spot uh yep. in, in our program get, get the money spot get the money spot where all you got to do is catch and score catch and score either right left or over somebody uh, and and illinois does that and i think they do it with a pin screen for me is more at the at the block but it's it's like a pin screen action where it's down towards the basket and that guard just comes right up 
uh, right up the top of the key. And then that takes away help too because now it's a longer double because it's in the center of the floor. It's not uh, somewhere on the block. But those are the types of things where you got to put TJD in better positions uh, uh, to, to do things. And, and, and then speaking of Illinois, Underwood said in the postgame that he, he wants to force twos. So what, what you see with Miller Cop and Parker is people locking down on them. You have a big center, and, and Tony said he's kind of hard to – you can guard him one-on-one. So now you, all you got to do is force X to take the ball screen, go over the top, and force X to take those twos. If he hits a lot of them, you're, you're going to lose. You shake his hand, but you're going to roll the dice with X and Rob taking shots. Purdue got beat with that kind of strategy because Rob went off. But more times than not, we've lost when the point guards have had to take a lot of shots because we're not getting shooters – because that's a defensive strategy that's going on in the college game right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, the bottom line to me when it comes to the offense, and we'll talk about the defense in a second, but it's like it's like we have our offense structured like we have Joel Embiid on the block when what we have is DeAndre Jordan or Clint Capella. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't – again, I don't necessarily mean that as a slight at Trace. It's going to come off that way because, you know, Trace is a preseason All-American and he fashions himself as a – go-to guy and and, you know i I think he tries to do all the right things but because of roster limitations and and maybe you know who knows maybe because of you know obviously when you recruit a guy of his stature and then you recruit him back you know he was going to be the focal point of this team you know and and that's not going to change you know so i'm not asking i don't think we're just going to like totally change what we do but maybe there's some subtle tweaks that we can have that takes it yeah because i almost feel bad for him sometimes it's like he's got it down on the block he's trying but it's like he's you know he's over you know he's he's like you said he's at a size disadvantage and he's trying to shoot he's trying to score over these people he's trying to be the go-to guy but it's like more often than not he's not in a position to do what he does best and i don't blame him as much for that i blame the structure of what we're doing offensively they run really i'm really I'm, i'm struggling as we go through the season to come to grips with how i feel about trace because I mean, I love Trace, but I think there are, you know, someone asked in the chat, you know, why isn't he taking more shots? Well, he's not comfortable doing it. Is that just because he's never going to be comfortable? Is it because he didn't work hard on it in the offseason? I don't know. But, you know, at some point he has a responsibility to improve his game, too, and some of his skills have seemed to stay stagnant. So I don't mean to not put any accountability on him. But as we go through this season, I really just feel like he's being asked to do something he's not capable of doing. And he wants to do it, but... He's not he the can't straight the post up, pointer. right? You're talking about just yes. a straight throw. That's in what post I'm talking up. about. The they run up. that set, Tony, too, in the second. They do it a lot to start the second half, where I think he starts at the elbow and the ball goes to the right side, yes. and then he gets a back screen and a cross screen, and it's timed up to hit the wing and go in. And they scored early on it, and it's now on film. And the last couple times they've pushed TJD off the block, but I like that kind of action. So, yep. so create something new, pull it out of your bag of tricks of, uh, of we call it rip screen when you back diagonal um, screen. you you got to try to or, get or he, angles. Get him angles yeah. so he can go right yes. up and score. You can't just throw it to him uh, with his back facing the basket. And yeah, then he, diagram some stuff for a 15-footer. I mean, if I'm a coach and a kid's not shooting, I'm going to diagram stuff and say, son, shoot. Or here's the bench. Like, if you're not comfortable shooting the three, then maybe I shouldn't have you be comfortable starting the game. Like, well, if you can hit and it's going to help Indiana, shoot the ball. Well, when we talked about reversing the ball, I mean, he obviously likes the ball in that right block so he can go over to the middle to his left hand. Um, what I like, 
is, you know, having him kind of like he post up in that money spot. But as the ball's reversing, that guy's trying to play on his backside. Now he's got him pinned. He can just turn and pin, and the ball's reversed. And then you can throw it to him right where he wants. He can go right high back low. up. Just simple little things like that. Yeah, some high-low. If they're playing on that high side, you got him buried. Walk him up the lane, turn, seal. Um, yeah, the, the, the stand-in-front post move drives me crazy as a coach. You, you'll have players at every level. They go down the post, the defender's there, they just turn around and give the defender all of the advantage. You, you've got to yep. take the – I like it, I like it when know. we do it with race because a lot of times race has a better physical matchup. Because well, yeah, he's got smaller yeah. fours on him. Right, like well, the that's Illinois why Trace game. can do it. I mean, Trace can do it in the games against teams that aren't as good because they don't have guys as big, and that's that, that's why to me those numbers don't matter. Um, but well, and you know, here's, oh, go ahead, oh, Tony. Sorry. Finish. Well, I was just gonna say, none of it is taking what the defense gives him. It's you know guys really just you know playing on that right shoulder, and he's got a counter to go over his left and shoot it right, but he's just. He's not yeah. going to do it. And he just he grab dribbles, crab right. dribbles, crab dribbles, and then beats that chest and then flings something. And then if he times, happens right? to go over that left shoulder, he puts it up with his left hand, which is really easy to block, or he's off balance. Um, you know, it's just yeah. it's it's not his game. But even if a guy's leaning on him, you know, using that as leverage against that defender to where he can then spin off that guy, like he he just he doesn't have a great feel in the post, um, which is fine. Like that's a really hard. It's why the NBA, a lot of those guys have completely abandoned post-ups because it's right. hard to score out of it. We, Tony, we tell guys to – sometimes we let it into the post. We, we, we're we blessed with size at 6'4", 6'4", 6'8". So we just stand and, – and, and mathematically, it's forcing twos. Underwood right. said that too, even about Edie and those guys. He was just daring them to throw it in. He said, we'll let you throw it in 50 times, go up against Kofi and try to score. Um, and, and so that's what the other team was hoping that was happening the other night. Um, in that game, and that's what happens in college basketball. You wall up, right? Wall, wall yep. up, wall up. Don't try to block shots. And so, going over people is a very hard way to score with the athletes and the size that is in college basketball. You got to have angles, and you got to have ways to get around that uh, in order to score efficiently. But putting him on the move would be a much better option because then that defender's not just sitting there um, on playing his his pet move. Now, here's the other thing to mention. So we just spent 10, 15 minutes talking about the offensive impact of this. But the irony is that lineups that have Trace, Miller, and Parker in them are slightly better in terms of offensive efficiency than lineups that don't. So for all of the all the foibles, and that doesn't mean that they're maximizing it, because those, those lineups need to be a lot better, because defensively, those lineups are atrocious. And that's where the impact comes. Right Overall, those lineups, you know, the defense is .07 worse as i mentioned earlier and that's the issue and this is actually where i criticize trace a little bit more than on offense i think on offense he tries his best to succeed in a role that he you know it probably just isn't he isn't really tailor made for the real problem with miller parker and trace is they just don't defend as well now trace's block numbers are better he's made some wow plays in summit you know senses i think he's better defensively but I think when you really watch possession by possession, he's still out of position too much. He takes possessions off defensively. Again, when he's playing a lot of minutes and he's carrying a big load offensively, that's going to happen some. But that is why, to me, that's the big crux of the reason why X and Race and Trey and Rob have been so successful in their lineups is those guys are just much more solid defensively. And this is a defense-driven team right now. Now, again, if Indiana's going to do anything down the stretch of the season, they've got to get better offensively. And so you need these lineups to have more shooters, 
you know, and a guy like Trace to be better offensively. But they also need to be better defensively. And I'm not sure that you're going to get a lot better defense from Miller and Parker. I think those guys are actually trying more defensively and doing some of the right things. I do think Trace has some margin to improve defensively. And I think he's slipped. And I think teams have kind of recognized that, you know, he's going to go for blocks and they've used that against him. Um, his communication with race, you know, and stuff that happens in the post isn't always great. You know, some doesn't execute switches as well. So that to me, and, and, and when you really, when you start to look at all the lineups that Trace is in and where the difference is, okay, why, why are lineups with Trace not performing? Most of the time it comes on the defensive end and he's kind of the one constant. And so that to me, you know, for all this stuff we talk about with offense, I think the biggest improvement he could make down the stretch for Indiana is to be better defensively. You know, now yeah. is that in the cards for him? He's always struggled a little bit, you know, just with the awareness and the quick decision-making defensively, but he's been around longer. He's seen more stuff now. He's a, he's a terrific rim protector. So, I mean, our two-point defense is good because he's there changing shots, but him getting out of position also sometimes ends up in a three-pointer where another guy is kind of running, you know, at the three-point guy or at the, at the shooter, but it was something that happened, you know, two steps before that that caused it. So that to me is the big issue. And I don't know if you guys have, you know, thoughts on that or what he can do better. Um, but I thought, you know, especially in the Northwestern game and in some other recent games, that's been that's been lacking a little bit, um, which, which to me has been more disappointing than the offense. Yeah, I, I think. Go ahead, coach. Go ahead, coach. <laughs> I'll go ahead. <laughs> um, I think that um, part of it is that undersized nature of him just having to try and play post defense against guys like Kofi or even yeah. young to an extent who's, I mean, not a great offensive player though. Um, I think some of it is the undersized nature, but at this, I think the worst part of Trace's defensive game is guarding ball screens. Um, when he's off of the floor and, and you watch Trace guard ball screens and, and some of this is schematic, um, but you know, IU wants to do a quick hedge, let the guy recover, um, well, Trace's quick hedges are almost non-existent. They're they're very they're very um, slow, and it's just kind of a quick hedge. And a lot of times, the defender's turning the corner, and then he's trying to time it and you know pin it off the backboard. But now it's dip dished out to the um, the roller, and that guy's scoring. So uh, it's a couple different things. I do think his his ball screen defense leaves a lot to be desired. Um, it, you know, I think Race Thompson executes what they're trying to do. Um, when he's kind of playing that five spot um, a little bit better. I mean, basically, when you're doing that quick edge, you're trying to stop the momentum of the ball handler. A lot of times, Trace isn't successful in doing that. Um, and, and you know, you're left with guy turning the corner and going north-south to the rim, which is never good for your defense. Um, but I also, you mentioned it, Jared, the communication aspect. Um, you know, when they're they're in these switching scenarios or – um, you know, I, I remember it against, uh, I think it was Purdue. Guys got lost on a back screen. There's, and uh, Mason Gillis ends up wide open. Like, I think that's a wider scale issue of IU in general is that their communication um, lacks at times, sometimes at big points in the game where all of a sudden somebody's wide open because one guy thought that they were switching off ball and another guy didn't. And, and you just can't have that, especially in February. Um, now, is that because – they're switching things up so much on the defensive end that sometimes they're switching one through three. Sometimes they're switching one through four. Sometimes it's the last seven of the shot clock. They're switching on ball. Like there's different scenarios. Is IU making it too complicated where the guys just are struggling to grasp? But at the end of the day, when you talk through it, 
it, it makes it easier. And, and I think that IU struggling in general. So that's kind of a macro picture, not just a Trace Jackson Davis thing. But something that I wanted to know is that I have noticed IU fall into some communication issues. But when it comes to TJD, my biggest gripe with him uh, is his ball screen defense, and he's put it into ball screens a lot. I think, Tony, you're absolutely correct on the ball screen stuff. Uh, and I'll just take it to a little bit of a macro thing. Some players like to play defense and some play, people don't. And, and and defense is a, a mental uh, approach. You've got to really study film. You've got to really understand the concepts. You've got to really understand where your next cover is. You know, you're guarding your guy. Where's the help? How do you, you know, help the helper? Where's my next cover? All of those things go into a, a, a wide variety of defenses. Um, and, and when he is engaged, he can be a pretty good defender. Still with some deficiencies, you know, garden drives and post-ups and ball screens. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be a lockdown defender. But I see the defense in all of those areas fall when he's not engaged. When does that happen? Early foul trouble and he sits out. We've talked about that. Or his shot's not going in. And, and we've all been around. And the attention is, you know, he he wants to be good. But there's a difference between wanting to be good and then doing the things that make you good. And, and it's just hard to find young men who really love to play defense. We have one in Rob Finnessy. I think we have one in X. I think we have one in Trey. And look what we're talking about. What lineups are most efficient that has those three guys in it. Race Thompson loves race. To, loved those yeah. four right there. They, they buy into what they have to do and their effort people. Defense, By the way, Jordan Geronimo's lineup data is all pretty good too, and he's I, and, and I would imagine like he's he's overhelped sometimes, and he's left shooters on the corner, and any high low pass in the Illinois game, he's learning the game. That's where his mistakes are are coming from. But he's an effort guy too, uh, and and I, I'm not trying to accuse Trace Jackson Davis of not giving effort, but you can see his body language sometimes drops uh, at at times if things aren't aren't going as planned, and if you're a defender, you're a defender if you're up twenty, down twenty, and and you're just trying to, you know, stop people any way you can. That's the thing that impresses me about Rob when, when, when he was playing and struggling offensively. Uh, us coaches, we love those just those pit bull, bulldogs, I'm going to knock you and your grandmother over type defenders. You know what I mean? Um, and we got a few of them. Um, and and that's, that's why the defensive metrics are so good in the data that you said um, – and sometimes defensive guys can't shoot the basketball, though. That's the other problem, right, Coach? <laughs> you put five defensive guys out there and, and you lose 30 to 28 because you can't hit the broad side of a barn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Indiana's got to get better on both. I think, Coach, what you highlighted there, I think there's a subtle but really important difference between effort and energy. Yes. You know, and energy is something that kind of rubs off on other guys in a positive way. And I think that's what we've seen from Trace. Again, you know, a lot of it does go back to his offense. I think, I think Trace wants to be a you know twenty-five point, twelve rebound guy because it's going to lead his team to wins. It's going to get him accolades. He's motivated by a lot of the same things that we all would be motivated by. And I think he gets frustrated when that doesn't happen. That's why the offensive part of this discussion was important because I think in a different role he might get easier baskets and it might be easier to get him going, right? But he's in the role that he's in. That's probably not going to change. And so that's where we are. And when those struggles happen, it does seem to carry over to the defensive side where, yeah, I think he's giving effort. Like I think he's moving to spots yeah. quickly, you know, but you can see from his body language, he's not providing energy that other guys feed off of where Trey Galloway just exudes it. 
race. You know, and race a lot of times just exudes it. X does that. Rob gives fist pumps when he makes a big yes. stop, and we'll forever love him and, for that Michigan State defense and that that win. Yes, yeah. Right? But Trace's energy sometimes is not that, you know. And so That's I, a good you know, point I about energy. And as I didn't necessarily to want this to, yeah. And I don't. Again, you know, I don't want this to sound like a Trace bashing session because it's not that. He brings a lot to the table. He's a really good college basketball player. I just I keep wondering, man, I'd love to see him in another role on a different team where he could be in a role that that is kind of more tailored to what he actually does well instead of this one, which everybody wants to work. It's just not, you know, and it's, it's like funny we keep banging our head that. against was... the wall with it. But there's a ceiling to building an offense around Trace and it hurts him and it, and it hurts everybody. And so that's why hopefully maybe there's some tweaks you know that we can make here down the stretch that'll help us unlock something offensively because the offense over the last few weeks has been atrocious and it's it's we're going to start seeing it seep in more to the defense we've seen it some they've kept they've stayed pretty strong defensively but trace is a big part of that defense and if he continues to struggle offensively i don't like the path that that takes us down what tony tell me if i'm just crazy and maybe this is different levels of basketball but I would love for Trace to set a flare screen for a shooter. Like if you're if you're going to go over the top of a flare screen, now Trace has a chance to dive and get post position with an angle. Tra- if they if they switch, you definitely have have a slip. But you're not going to switch a seven footer on there. That frees up a shooter. If they throw it to the flare and it gets covered up, all you got to do is roll and hold that guy up, and now you got an angle to go into the post. Simple things like that that will work at the collegiate level that I don't know about. But to me, putting him in, in flare screens, they, they do so well when they run the, the the old Michigan State stuff. I think Fife might have put in, you know, we call it X action, floppy action, whatever yeah. else you call underneath the basket, and then pin screen, and then the defenders are running off and you catch it and throw it in. Staggered doubles, um, and then dive in. Or staggered doubles with the back screen for your post. Have the post be the second screener. And then the first screener turns around and rescreens into the post as the ball gets reversed. Those are things that I would like to see called over and over and over and over again. Um, and maybe I'm just old school Bob Knight motion offense, and I know that it's gone away with the shot clock, but I think you can put into sets certain elements of, of screens and movement of people, and it's not that you're not going to not throw the ball to Trace Jackson Davis seven out of ten times. You're just doing it in different ways. Um, I think that's that's the secret sauce if if I know anything. Something I wanted to see against Illinois the way that Kofi was guarding him was pull Trace out to that elbow. They're, they were giving Trace the elbow catch. Let him catch on the elbow and then have a guard go set a ball screen for him and let him yes. go to his left hand. Yes. And see what they do. I mean, space it with shooters. And because Kofi's that guy running, you know, kind of that drop coverage, he's probably not re- on the receiving end of too many ball screens. Just see what they do. Because Trace has that left hand. He can go one dribble and, and cram at home. And just see what they do and how they react. Um, so you know, Williams was guarding race. How about a post-to-post ball screen? Sure. Put all your shooters on the perimeter. Throw that elbow catch. Bring race up from the block. And now Williams, who's battling race, not want to give up. Now you got to switch Williams because you got to switch that. Now you right. might go under. You might go under. Kofi might go under and be able to recover on that. But if you get caught up in that screen, that's an that's a emergency switch. Now you got six four Williams uh, in that situation in Illinois. Those are the things that I miss that creativity 
that I see happening in other programs right now of, okay, man, you know, if my best player's not getting the ball, we got to put something new in to get them the ball or, or my shooters aren't getting shots. Tony, we do that every week. We don't add stuff every week, but we look in our repertoire, our bag, and then we might tweak something a little bit. And, um, you know, other programs, assistant coaches are holding up, you know, actions or play calls every trip down the floor. Um, I don't mind freelancing, but if freelancing gets those kind of stats that we're looking at against good competition, then, then you need to reevaluate. If you're 108th offensive efficiency or whatever we are now, that's not acceptable uh, to win Big Ten basketball games and get to the tournament. And sometimes it's, again, coaches don't try to lose. So you try stuff, and it's not working. But if you keep doing the same things and it's not working, hoping that it does, it ain't going to work. You know what's interesting with the – I talked about some stats on Miller and Stewart. So uh, Miller is 74 percentile in the country in spot-up situations. So – um, he's 46 percentile when he's actually just coming off of a screen and shooting. So he's really coming off of a pen down or something and getting Miller actions fairly mediocre um, in, in terms of, of how he does. In terms of Parker Stewart, 81st percentile in the country in spot-up situations, 34th coming off the screen. Um, Miller, 88th percentile in the country in just catch and shoot, 9th percentile in shots off the dribble. Uh, Parker, 82nd percentile in catch and shoot situations, 35th in shots off the dribble. Um, so, you know, the, those tell a story to me, and I, I can see how Woody is struggling to to try and get these guys shots um, because of the nature of they need it to score. Um, you know, they're great spot-up shooters, but when you get them on the move, they're, they kind of lose that. So now it's, all right, how do we create actions that th- get these guys in spot-up situations? Or at least that's what I would be looking at. Um, you know, because it, it's fairly – fairly large data set. Like I think each of those had like, you know, 35, 40 possessions. Uh, that That's what I was going to ask. Since, since we don't put them on the move very much, what was, right. what mm-hmm. was the, the numbers, but then didn't move, move, get that false motion, put the defense exactly. in an area where you can get your drivers, but then maybe more so Tony, what that speaks to me is that you need multiple drivers in there, not multiple shooters. Don't exactly. play them together. Nailed don't it. play them together. <laughs> Nailed it. I mean, right? that, that's Yes. All the Trey stuff is great. I think we came up with some great ideas. If I had one takeaway from all the research that I've done, just don't play those two guys together. It takes away your greatest strength, which is your defense, and you're not getting the bang for the buck offensively. And we're another driver and another defender in there, Jared. Yes. To even out those those numbers and those trays out there, you know, like you're giving some stuff up. But, but do you, know. you, because now maybe you free trace up like he can't be traced up. So you might lose that yeah. three-point shooting. But that's what I mean. You give get, up some stuff, but yeah, you're getting but, some other stuff that seems more important. And the overall team. net is better. Yes. All right. Well, good. I think we figured some stuff out here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to practice. <laughs> flare screens. I just love flare screens, Coach Adranya. If it, I, when I draw stuff up, I always put a flare screen in my head. Coach goes, "Yeah, another no, another flare screen. Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> like it's just great." Illinois did it out of their horn set. I mean, yes. they'll they'll have Frazier run, come set the initial ball screen, and then he'll come off a of Kofi flare, and then Kofi will go set another ball screen, and you, then now you've got a double gap that he can drive off of. <sighs> well, I love just three dudes throwing out ideas and looking at data. Well, and I'll say this, Woody, Woody knows two million more sets than me, so I'm not trying to act like I know right. more than Woody. I want to we're just asking throw that him to caveat use out there. 
Exactly. <laughs> just yeah, I mean, we're just, you know, just we're hypothesizing it. and throwing out ideas. And again, I hold space that there's stuff that's happening in practice and different things that we don't know that might explain some of this stuff. And, you know, look, it's easier said than done to change Trace Jackson Davis's role. That would be like, you know, moving the tectonic plates of the program because he was recruited to play a certain role. He was brought back to play a certain role. That's what he expects, you know. Now, you know, maybe as a coach you can convince a guy and you try a few different things, this, that, or the other. So sometimes we throw out stuff and it's like, oh, yeah, this should be really easy to do. Why doesn't the coach do it? Well, because there's going to be a domino effect that you have to think through when it comes to player psychology and some of the other stuff. So it's easy to, you know, like we start talking about this and we go down the road and, you know, I see folks in the chat mob, why aren't we doing this? This is great. The coaches listen to the show. You know, none of us think that. Um, these coaches know and they probably have come up with 8,000 better ideas than what we just have. But you also have to take into account the player psychology part and guys having roles and a lot of other things that go into some of this. And stuff. they have to know the plays. Like they, they have to be yes. able to go out there and execute them against live defense. And that's a lot of guys struggle with that. Yes. But all that said, I would love to see a few tweaks down the stretch because, you know, one thing that, you know, Ryan and I have, have argued on this. I mean, I, I think we have a nice team that can make the NCAA tournament. You sure. Know, I think there's a cap on how good. Yes, a cap on how good we can be. You know, Ryan, I think, thinks this could be like a top 15 team if they were utilized correctly. I don't think we're that far off, but there's a little bit of a difference. But I think we all agree that we can be better than what we've been. You know, and the offense can be better. You know, so I think we just we just want to see that. And maybe if there's a few tweaks, a lineup thing here, some different sets here, it really feels like, you know, just get us back up to 80th offensively. You know, and that's good Please. enough now that we've slipped yeah. down into the hundreds. So there's more there. I just I hope we can unlock some of it down the stretch. So JD Hoosier, I think we had, uh, answered your question. Tom, you had question about offensive TJD's offensive struggles and the offense struggling. Hope we answered that. Um, Coming up in our third segment, we're going to answer some more questions, as we always do. So stick around with us here on The Assembly Call. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Oh, did you pause all that stuff? You took out the middle stuff? 
This is Nick Zeisloff. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. All right, everybody. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni. I'm here with a couple awesome dudes, uh, Jared and Tony, as uh, we're talking IU basketball. It is a lot better the second segment than the first segment, uh, talking about X's and O's instead of what went down this week. And we're going to take uh, your questions uh, now from your uh, from the mailbag. And all questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can uh, learn more about and join at assemblycall.com backslash community. And, and and I will just plug that a little bit more. That is just an enjoyable place to interact with people. Uh, people can send private messages. Uh, really great, great uh, Indiana people in, in that community. And I urge you, if you're not a part of it, to at least consider that. Uh, and then you could ask us a question. Uh I, not I'm to gonna, mention Tony's IU film room content in exactly. there, which is a treasure trove of wonderful stuff. Exactly. And then our, our Discord uh, questions as well. Members of our private Discord uh, questions who uh, are used in the show receive our community con- coin home as a bonus. And, and so we're just getting all kinds of really great questions. I'm going to skip. Home's the, on fire. Yeah, I'm going to hit the. Uh, Home's on fire, baby. Uh, <laughs> it is. Um, I'm going to skip the mediocre question tonight. This because we're in a good good place talking X's and O's. Um, but um, let, let's go. Here, Tony says, different Tony, I imagine, or maybe it was you, Tony. Um, we're that still was Tony the- Stuckey. It was oh, our man, to- Tony Stuckey. Yeah, we had dinner with when him. When I read this night. in the show notes, I thought I needed to be prepared to answer this. I thought it was, <laughs> Tony, I was like, Tony, you? this is you. Tony, <laughs> Tony's got a, a, a nice significant other. Really, you know, upgrades the experience of being around Tony. You know, Jennifer, right? <laughs> I mean, without her, Tony's just mediocre. Maybe that's why we're going to his question. Is Aren't Tony still – he might still all, be in there. Um but Tony asks, we're still in the early stages of this new NIL outlaw frontier. Some schools are starting to set up and oversee a certain level uh, NIL deals for incoming student athletes. Example, Texas Longhorns um, have a deal. Should schools be allowed to essentially fine players out of their NIL monies if they break team or school rules, much in the sense of NBA, NFL, et cetera, find their players for violations? Jared? Yeah, so, you know, it's an interesting question. I can see why Tony asked it, but I think the the question is kind of built on a false assumption, which is that the money is coming from the schools. The money is right. not coming from the schools. So, you know, even, you know, what Texas, you know, has set up, I think they have some deal with somebody that's going to pay all their offensive linemen $50,000. That's coming from a company. And so that's going to be a deal and a contract that they sign with that company. It's not coming from Texas. Now, if we ever reach a point where athletic departments are allowed to actually pay players, you know, outside of the cost of living money that they get and the scholarship money that they get, yes, now maybe that would be, you know, a discussion. But it's like, you know, the the deal that we have with Tamar Bates for the inside scoop, you know, we have a, a contract with him and there are contract terms that we agreed on. And that can be whatever we agree on. Like if we wanted to put in the contract that he has to pay me back $500 every time he fouls out of a game, we could put that in there if we wanted to. No one would do that, of course. But that has nothing to do with the school. So you 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 wouldn't do that. You couldn't do that. That would only be if the schools were paying the athletes. But the NIL money is separate. Like it has to be separate. Schools can only have a certain level of involvement anyway um, in that. Tony? Yeah, I think Jared nailed it. Um, you know, it's it's like, you know, if some if somebody has a brand deal, 
um, and they screw up, that brand can more than likely rescind that based on the contract terms. Um, very similar setup here where, um, you know, there's there's parameters, and if either side doesn't abide by them, then um, that contract can be severed. Yeah, and typically the way that it would work, like, so there are morality causes in contracts, right? So, you know, say that a that a player, you know, was arrested for, like, domestic, you know, ab- violence or something like that. Well, typically with the contracts, it wouldn't be that, like, you could go back and recover the money that you've already paid, but you could probably terminate the contract and not owe anything in the future. Again, you can put anything in the contract that you want, um, you know, but, like, you know, staying out, you know, past curfew, that's a, that's a mistake in judgment, but it's not like a, a, a morality thing. Right. So you know, you're not going to be able to pull back money that you've already paid to the, to the player. Um, you know, so it just, it just wouldn't work like that. Um, I'm going to ask in general, a lot, there's a lot of questions here and I, and I, I'm going to ask the question, I, I'm going to respond and then I'll, I'll open it up for, for you guys too, is, uh, there were a lot of questions obviously about the suspensions. I think we handled that in the first segment, but I don't want to, uh, not answer some of these questions, but there were four or five about them. And, and I'm going to focus on, on what happens afterwards. Um, there, there were mistakes made, there was accountability where, and some questions, where do you see it happening? Uh, to this season, what's the uh, is this a turning point? Is it not? Time will tell. It's why I, I tweeted out patience. I, I am telling myself to be patient, not rush to judgment. Try to forgive the mistakes that these young people made, uh, and and then make sure I have all the information correct before I try to to make some appointment. But what what I tell as an educator, I, I tell young people this. Um, I say you got to relf mistakes. R A L F. Recognize you made a mistake. Admit you made a mistake. Learn from it, and then forget it and go back to being productive. If if you linger too long on the mistake that you made, even if you learned a lesson then then you're not going to grow as a as a young man. I'm disappointed in you as players for making that choice and putting your teammates and your coaching staff at a position where discipline had to be uh, dealt with. But you you are human beings, recognize it, admit it and learn from it. And if you can't learn from it, then we got a bigger problem and then that'll be down the line coach Woodson will deal with that. But learn from it and then for, forget about it and then go go be better. Uh, this this life is about being better, and and we as coaches, Tony's been through it, and Jared's a great mentor from from his coaching perspective on the podcast and all of those things. You take people through negative situations, you don't quit on them. Uh, there might be a time if it's over and over and over again where you have to separate, but even when you have to separate, you don't quit on them. If you're a coach player relationship, I mean, once you play for Coach Woodson, I hope that Coach Woodson cares about him the time. That's what Coach Knight did. Coach Knight cared about his players while they were playing, after they graduated, and I'm sure he cared about players that maybe he didn't see eye to eye with as well. Maybe not as much as you know some of some of his favorites, but you got to learn from it and you got to move on. And so, to answer all these questions, the specific questions, that's the hope of this program that you can learn from it quickly, put that behind, and then go compete on the basketball floor. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens positively. I've also been around a lot of this at, at different levels of sports where it does linger and it causes some problems, and, and we'll address that as it happens. But my hope is that these young men learned a lesson. Coach uh, will help them, and the program will help them, and we'll move on and get some wins. Um, and, and trying to turn it into a positive. But 
but you got to help people through their difficulties. Uh, and, and we got to get back to believing in people and being a sense of community in, in a lot of areas, but especially in our sports. Don't give up on young people. Uh, they're very special people. So if you guys, you know, a lot of questions about that. If you want to add something, uh, go on. I just think, you know, I think it's an important lesson at a, an important time. You know, as a lot of people have said, and as we all know, you know, brains don't fully develop the prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop until you're 25 that's why we all make such stupid decisions when we're young especially in college and again like the actual i mean unless something's going to come out that we don't know the actual things that they did are not bad things it was time and place and so i think it's an important lesson to learn when you're in college which is preparing you for the real world which is that you know, every decision is made within, you know, kind of a larger context. And so when the off season or any other time going out and doing stuff, who cares? Like that, go out and have fun the night before a game, when you're committed to a team and you have so many people counting on you makes it a bad decision. And so, you know, that to me, it's a, it's a good, that's a good time to learn that lesson. That's what you're supposed to be in college to do. Um, so, you know, and hopefully it just kind of draws a line in the sand for the program of what we're going to accept and what we don't. And, you know, that becomes a little more clear then you can move forward with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, same thing to you, coach. There was, I was, I was actually really surprised by how much like negative reaction there was that went beyond like, I'm disappointed about this moment and didn't quickly turn the page on it for like the decision that the players made. Like it's, you know, th there's they're fine. You know, like they all seem like pretty good kids, you know? And, you know, one of them in particular, Parker Stewart has gone through a really difficult time. He's not going to be able to use that as an excuse for the rest of his life for every poor decision that he's made. But the guys in college recently lost his father and who knows what he's going through. Let's just have a little patience and empathy um, and be there to support these guys. Not always so willing to, you can be disappointed. Right. Yeah, of course. And like I said, it was a dagger to me where Indiana had gotten, to have to go back through this kind of talk again, it's a dagger to me. It's disappointing. It's a downer. But but you, but I'm not giving up. Uh, I yeah. refuse to give up on young people. Yep. And and the five people thing is is big. Um, you know, it it makes it. I think it's like on a grander scale of man, five guys suspended. Um, but you know, there's. I I don't want to you know be like oh, it happens to everybody but a lot of programs go through very similar things. Purdue had a player earlier this year got a DUI, um made a horrible horrible mistake getting behind the wheel and um after drinking. That player now has learned his lesson, he was suspended. Uh coach Painter, you know, had humil or, you know sat him down, went through a whole thing and now that player is probably the most efficient offensive basketball player in the country and he's kind of turned it around in terms of it's a I don't want to say it's a positive. It's never a positive when you do something like that. But, you know, he's he's been able to put that behind him. And my point being that these things happen. They, like you said, they're college kids. They make mistakes. You learn from it. You show grace. And, yeah, if it's a thing that happens, a, you know, a bunch, then, yeah, there's sometimes you may have to go separate ways or, um, you know, people don't see eye to eye. But when in this situation in general, um, I think fairly minor in terms of – what happened, like you said, time, place, not a good decision. You've paid your, you know, paid your dues and let's move on and let's beat Michigan state. Um, and that's kind of how I would address my team. I've had similar things happen to my team. I've had, believe it or not, I've had kids that have made stupid mistakes in high school and more time. <laughs> and then usually when we address it as a team, um, 
you know, and I we say, hey, here's what happened. Here's the punishment. I still love all of you. And, you know, we're going to move forward from this. And it's not something I like hold over their head or, you know, when they make a mistake. Well, you made this mistake because you made this terrible decision two weeks ago. Like, that's not how it works. It's not how I think Coach Woody will operate. I think it's just, you know, you, you made a mistake. You're going to pay for it. And hopefully you won't do it again. So, so again, Tony, uh, Sally, um, a, a lot of people ask questions uh, concerning that. We just made some general comments. We hope that uh, you feel you, that we answered your question. We appreciate uh, those questions. Um, th- this is Valerie asks, I think, one of my favorite questions here, um, and I think that's probably a good. Valerie way to, always asks good and, questions, and, and uh, it, it was good to see her too um, last, last weekend. Yeah, it was. Uh, she says this topic will will date me probably, but uh, what the hell happened to good sportsmanship? Let me get started with the with the offenses I know about. I was in the stands when grown men were yelling obscenities at Devontae Green. I understand from Twitter that fans took to Twitter to attack players and shame their parents. Uh, Purdue, Purdue asses were joining in as well. Someone mentioned that the Illinois assistant coaches were trash-talking our players. My brother says that is on par for, for the course for Illinois. Fans were yelling some foul language at one player who formerly dated TJD. I hear the F word too many times. There's a time in memorial memorial tradition of Purdue uh, students singing IU sucks after their fight song. When I was in high school, we always had a cheer after every game. Hey, Springs Valley, say Springs Valley, good game. Yes, we played Larry Bird. Um, I am am all for cheering for your team and making your opponents feel unwelcome appropriately. Appropriately. So so, uh, my quick answer, I'll turn it over to everyone else, is yes, Valerie, I think – the, the foul language and the, the real personal attacks have no place uh, in the sporting arena. It's just all too commonplace in college, professional, high school uh, sports. Tony? Yeah, uh, especially, again, we go back to kids. I have a little more grace for kids being stupid and saying stupid things. I, I especially have a problem when it's adults um, that are, are partaking or, or you know booing uh, their own players, those types of things. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, coach. Like I, I don't think there's a place for it. I don't see that why it's necessary. Um, and it really grinds my gears when it's coming from adults. By the way, on the Illinois assistant coach thing, um, because that was weird seeing it live. Apparently it was started by our player who talked trash first. Papa Scholar. Weird seeing the Illinois coaches go after him though. It's strange. Um, like, let that go. Um, yeah, I heard Woody and Wonderwood kind of got into it too, according to uh, yeah some people yeah. that were at the scores table. Yeah, we uh, we sat right in front of the student section for the Illinois game, and it was you know they had a lot of you know a lot of good energy for the first half anyway when the game was going well, but I thought some of the heckling was terrible. Um, just in terms of. I don't know what what's the right term. I don't want to say low class, but it what number one it was ineffective, and number two it was just kind of mean spirited, and like there is never any reason to make fun of a guy's height, to make fun of a guy's weight, to make fun of a guy's name, or to make fun of their family because the first three, he's almost certainly heard it, and so it's not actually going to have an impact. It shows a total lack of creativity, and it's just mean. You don't make fun of something that is like a part of who a person is and they can't necessarily change. That's just stupid. 
and it's not going to do anything. And family should just be off limits. You just you don't talk about people's families. You do your research. You can talk about stuff that they've done. You know, an air ball that they had two games ago, the game winning shot that they bricked, you know, the stupid decision maybe that they made off the court. That's fair game, you know, but the other stuff, I, I don't know, man. It was, uh, it was, very I'm going to share with you. Cringy. Yeah, it is. The, the yeah. foul language, the, the hurtful, the meanness has to stop. You can get real creative in your distractive measures as a, as a fan base. Right. But, but one of my all time and it, greats was I'm teaching at Delphi and we have moved our kids to Rossville because of school board. And anyway, um, my son comes back to Delphi to play and he was a pretty good player. So I told, I told the cheer section, I said, man, you got to give me some credit street cred here when he's shooting or something, you got to yell, your dad's better. Right. (laughs) So my son gets fouled. He's at the free throw line in our home gym at Delphi and our student section who are my students Start yelling, your dad's better, your dad's better, and I just loved it. He nailed the two free throws because nothing ever bothered him, but that's creative, you know, that's the air creative. ball. What happened to air ball? Turn your back when the that team's the announcing, cre- right? Cre- that's the creative stuff. That can The creative be- stuff is what might actually distract somebody. Go up to that know? line, just don't cross it, right? right. Yeah. Um, you know, and just leave certain stuff off the table. You know, yeah. Did you guys see the? Like, like there the was somebody crazies. yelling that that Kofi Coburn should lay off the cheeseburgers. I'm like, what are you talking about? Kofi Coburn is not fat. Number one, and even if he was, that's just a stupid thing to heckle. It's just mean and dumb. So, so help me if someone puts that in. Maybe I'm getting old because I thought about like turning around and saying something. It's like, <laughs> no, the kid's nice. I, I talked to him before the game. Anyway, he's a nice kid. I was just like, come on. Someone man, puts that better. in the chat mob for me to hate. You know. Stop eating the cheeseburgers now. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really disappointed, Jared, that you brought that up. I think Kofi Kerb- Coburn is probably the last person whose physique I would critique. Yes, I know. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, exactly. Um, yeah. By the way, though, on the on the subject of sportsmanship, I do still I I still want a a three second rule or a five second rule on the court. If you make a three, if you get a big block, if you get a big dunk, any type of game changing play. You have a five-second grace period to say or do anything in celebration that you want as long as it doesn't touch the other person. So you can't, like, you know, Trent Frazier turned to the crowd and stuck his tongue out. Or even if you woof in some guy's face or you talk a little bit of trash. I would like to see that because it's emotional. It's a moment. It's fun. It's entertaining for fans. I used to do that kind of stuff when I played. I think it's – so I would still like to see that. You can't, like – you know, there's got to be some limits on it, but not many. Just a three to five second grace period because it's in that, then it's the emotion. After that, then it's kind of premeditated beyond the three to five seconds. Positive emotion, yes. Getting in someone's face. Come on, Morris. We got to draw a line there. But maybe because that, because this pump, okay, because getting in someone's face could cause a fight. Yeah. So so maybe you wouldn't want to do that. But but don't go to the NFL taunting rules, right? Where you just say something. I agree to some extent. Let people yeah, let players have fun. Like, yes. yeah, I agree. No, I never it, dunked. I made lots of threes. I never dunked. Likewise. I had lots of threes made on me as well. Did you ever get dunked on? That, that was a question I was I answered on Twitter yesterday. I never got dunked on, but I got crossed up really bad by Marquis Teague uh, from Pike, <laughs> which, like, he was in the NBA, so I'm cool with it. 
I, I I closed out on Delray Brooks. By the time I finished my closeout, he was already at the rim dunking. <laughs> was it a good solid closeout, or was it fake hustle? Did you it, just no, it was by? great. It just didn't accomplish <laughs> one damn thing. He was at the rim in no in no time. <laughs> All right, that's it. We're done. No more questions. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thanks to John Ringer of RigsDesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. Uh, We'll talk to you soon, Saturday after the game. Until then. Take it from me, James Blackman Jr. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and get buckets. Go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you.